Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to HuffPost's weekly podcast, Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Broden Driscoll. And me, Rachel Moss. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. We cover underreported issues and tackle the topics you're too squeamish to talk to your mates about. This week, we'll be talking about perimenopause with Dr. Nigga Arif, who specialises in women's health, and Tilly Harris, an author, writer and researcher who will be talking about her personal experience of going through early menopause and how it can be a catalyst for massive change and growth. I learnt the word perimenopause and what it possibly might mean pretty late on. I was probably beyond 40, but more than that, other people knowing it. So you don't feel like in the middle of trying to learn about it yourself, you're also trying to educate everyone around you because it feels then that you've got this kind of double job to do of learning yourself and then letting everybody else know. As a black woman, I've personally found that we are not represented enough. I want menopause information to be more diverse as well as evidence-based, easier to understand that is relatable. One menopause does not fit all. There needs to be a connection. And then maybe more black women and women in general would be prepared to speak more openly about the issue of menopause. Join in the conversation on social media by using the hashtag AIMYU. I think we're getting better at talking about periods as a society, but there's still a huge silence surrounding what happens when your periods begin to stop, which is why we wanted to talk about the topic of perimenopause today. For anyone who doesn't know, perimenopause is actually the term used when a woman is transitioning towards the menopause. So you might get symptoms associated with menopause, like hot flushes or mood changes and things like that. But you can still be having periods either every month or irregularly. And it's quite confusing because the two terms are used interchangeably when medically Mm. speaking menopause literally means when you haven't had a period for a year whereas perimenopause is the whole transition up to that so you can have no period for 10 months and then you have a period and you're still not menopausal you're technically perimenopausal and something that I learned a couple of years ago that really surprised me was that perimenopause can actually start eight to ten years before you reach menopause so for listeners you know, hearing this, it can start a lot earlier than you think, actually, and probably something we need to talk about sooner rather than later. Mm, So people kind of tend to use the word menopause for that whole period. Exactly. Uh, Say period there. Um, That whole duration (laughs) of time. So Mm. the hot flushes and all of that kind of stuff. When you told me this, I was like, okay, so meno, like menstruation, blood, Mm -hmm. menopause is when the meno ends. And then if you add peri, 
which means like around apparently I looked it up before we started recording <laughs> so that means around the blood ending for anyone who's interested in <laughs> the breakdown of the word itself well, I think the word is important right because although we can use both interchangeably kind of colloquially it's it's a bit like the whole vagina vulva conversation I mm. think like why do we not know the correct words to do with our bodies so frequently yeah. and it doesn't massively matter if you use the technically incorrect one but it's important to know the correct one in my opinion definitely so Rachel and I are going to try and undo a lifetime of well, me especially, undo 32 years of not knowing the right word and try and say per- perimenopause as much as possible on this podcast rather than menopause. But if I do slip up, grant me um, a little bit of grace. But I'll be honest, I haven't given the menopause or the perimenopause much thought in my life. I think, I don't think many people do really. Um, when you're in your 20s and 30s, it seems like such a distant prospect, but it, you know, it really isn't. And um, we know that Quite a few people experience early onset menopause. Sometimes this happens completely unexplained and out of the blue. And other times it's a direct result of treatment for a health issue like cancer or endometriosis, potentially. And so it's kind of like it is something that can happen before you expect it. Yeah. But then also, I guess it is super close because like when you're in your 20s and 30s, for a lot of people, that's something that their mums are going through. So it is kind of like circling around us, but something that we kind of feel is really far away. Have you spoken to your mum about menopause? Yeah, I have a little bit over the last couple of years. It's funny you say until I started writing about it, really, I hadn't broached the topic with my mum. Mm. Um, it also feels almost nosy to ask mm. people about these things. And when you stop and think, but why does it feel nosy to ask your own mother if she's going through menopause? It's because we've been taught that these things are taboo, you know, in the mm. same way that people say, oh, you're on your period. It's, oh, is she going through the menopause? Definitely. <laughs> and actually, if you take away that ingrained taboo, there's there's nothing wrong with asking your mum, like, hey, have you reached it yet? What's going on with you? And checking in. And mm. I've done that. And I think it's a really interesting conversation to have. Obviously, I don't push her too much on it because mm. it's, it's up to her, you know, how much she talks about it. Mm. But as well, it just informs what might happen to you in the future, mm-hmm. which is so important to know. So as well as like supporting your mum or your aunt or, you know, an older friend, whoever through this stuff, like it's also just quite helpful for knowing what your own timeline might actually look like. How about you? Have you spoken about it much? Um, I've spoken about it, I think, also similar to you, kind of since working for HuffPost and kind of being around more women's health content. Um, I speak about a lot of things more than I would have done um, before. <laughs> but, yeah, we've had, like, a brief conversation, but n- but nothing, nothing too detailed, really, uh, which is funny because I know from, like, the research for this podcast that there's – 13 million women in the UK are either perimenopausal or postmenopausal and the symptoms can last up to 15 years which is crazy if you think about it that's such a long Mm. period of your life Um, and some of the symptoms can be like extremely debilitating and and just kind of awful to go through and really tough so it is really important to talk about especially with like you know loved ones and 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 I guess to think about with like people that you're you're working around and being around every day so your colleagues and and everything but yeah something that we should talk about more I am really glad that things are starting to change a little bit 
there are some great community groups working in this area now to talk about perimenopause more. So there's one in the UK that's called Magnificent Midlife, and that's a podcast and community group where women share their experiences. And then there's an app called Caria, which was developed by um, people in the US, but you can use it in the UK too. And that allows women to share their perimenopause symptoms and talk to one another about it. There's a great community aspect on there. And of course, we've got a load of celebrities starting to talk about their experiences now too, which really helps. Jenny Eclair's got a book coming out about all this soon. Actor Viola Davis has spoken about it. And of course, we could not do this episode without mentioning that iconic scene in Fleabag where Kristen Scott Thomas spoke about how great life can be after menopause. We have pain on a cycle for years and years and years. And then just when you feel you are making peace with it all, what happens? The menopause comes, the fucking menopause comes. And it is the most wonderful fucking thing in the world. And yes, your entire pelvic floor crumbles and you get fucking hot and no one cares. But then you're free no longer a slave, no longer a, a machine with parts. You're just a person in business. I was told it was horrendous. It is horrendous, but then it's magnificent. Something to look forward to. I love that scene so much. I remember coming in to work the next day and talking about it at length in our morning meeting. Um, it was a really great moment. I think just kind of the reaction to that, that moment um, really kind of showed how important it is to kind of talk about that period in women's lives and uh, was kind of a bit of the inspiration for us to do this podcast episode. So can't wait to get into it with our guests. I wish I'd known that the acid reflux, chest pain and sore throat would be quite as debilitating as it is. I've spent two months hardly been able to do anything and I'm only now starting to feel slightly back to normal but the reflux just will not go away. I think one of the things for me would be your joints aching. I'd heard obviously regarding hot hot flashes, um, tiredness but I'd never knew that your joints could ache from being premenopausal and I did suffer probably for about a couple of years with really bad joints and, and I thought I had like right, the onset of rheumatism or arthritis um, not knowing that actually it was connected to premenopausal women. joined by Dr Nigat Arif who specialises in women's health. She also works as an outreach clinician meeting with doctors, nurses and residents to discuss the unmet health needs for Pakistani communities. Dr Nigat is passionate about making perimenopause a less taboo subject. Thank you so much for joining us today, we're really excited. Thank you so much for having me, I'm genuinely honoured, this is amazing. First of all we wanted to know what are some of the kind of big myths around perimenopause that you'd like to bust? Well, I think that we've got to be able to be more open-minded around age because it was always like, 
oh, perimenopause or menopause can only happen to older women. Well, no, it really can't. It, younger people can start experiencing symptoms. And actually, there are symptoms that come about that will only appear at certain times and they wax and wane. They come and go. Hormones fluctuate anyway. They're all over the place. And this is another thing that women will say, well, one week I'm having hot flushes and another week I'm having night sweats. And then another week I'm having irritability and brain fog. And I just completely forgot where I put my keys. And then the other thing is that women get are psychological symptoms. And this is really underestimated. So this is self-confidence, lack of self-esteem, irritability, tearfulness without any reason. Little things will happen. They're absolutely fine throughout the day. And then the evening is when their sort of anxiety starts creeping in. Why is there a kind of, I guess, lack of information out there? Or is the kind of training adequate? Like what's kind of going on there? There seems to be a bit of a disconnect between how women are experiencing this and then how it's being recognised. I think it is because there is this, it's seen as a natural process, but my argument is, is so is periods and pregnancy, yet we give so much attention to a woman, rightly so, when she's pregnant, because we want to pick up health complications. And there are health complications attached to women who go through the menopause, such as osteoporosis or being high at risk of heart disease, being high at risk of dementia, which the new data is coming out of, and also the mental health impact. One in 10 women will actually leave their career. And you look at those statistics and you think, hang on, the impact is huge. We should be looking at this. The whole point of the NHS is preventative care. In general practice as a GP, my job is, is trying to prevent health complications from occurring. And when it comes to medicine, as junior doctors, you're taught a little bit about it. It's just seen, oh, this will happen for the woman in their later life. And then when you, if you go into general practice, not every GP gets women's health as part of their training. I was lucky enough that I did. But even in women's training, I mean, how many gynecologists will actually say that they are very knowledgeable about the menopause? Because it's always been termed in medicine as a natural process, that there's little attention paid to it. And in general practice we have so much to learn like the amount of training that we do and the years that it takes is so much and in the grand scheme of events as a GP if a woman is living healthier and fitter it means that her children are watching her live happier and healthier and that feeds on and so we are saving money for the NHS because preventative care is always cheaper than actually having to deal with a problem. Whichever whatever way you want to look at it whether you look, want to look at it from a like productivity point of view whether you want to look at it from like an NHS spending point of view or woman's kind of quality of life or the quality of life of those around her this is something that needs to be taken seriously but I understand that this isn't kind of a priority. Society has always seen this as oh well it's part of what's going to happen so why moan about it and unfortunately the cynic in me says that women are never a priority in society anyway they're just seen as the homemakers they stay at home if they have a career well it's just a little hobby and and that has to change because we need to get women out in the workspace and there's a phrase in medicine that we I hate which is well we've always done it this way if we keep saying that to each other well we've always done it this way then how are we going to progress as women or as a community because the impact is so far reaching. We know that you're really passionate about working with South Asian communities on this topic in particular. Can you tell us a bit about why that work is so vital and what you do in that area? I'm going to have to talk about a personal story, if that's okay. I would get women coming to speak to me and they'll say to me in Punjabi, oh, nigga, the heart is That means everything hurts, nigga. And I'd say, well, oh, maybe it's something to relate rheumatological. Or they say, my heart, my palpitations are going. And 
a dear uh, family friend of ours who everybody's your auntie when you're Asian she told me for years and years and years all her varying symptoms but she never talked about flushes because when I said to her do you have hot flushes she said no her answer used to be to me stand in the 50 degree heat in a Pakistan and you'll know what a flush is so do you see where the concept is completely different in regard to symptoms as well so because she'd never said flushes, she'd always complained of aches and pains. Her GP examined her, put her on steroids because they thought it was fibromyalgia. So steroids thins the bone. She went outside, put the washing on the line and she slipped and she had a fracture neck of femur. She was 52 years old. She ended up being in a wheelchair. Her mental health absolutely deteriorated. 52 and you're just thinking, oh my God, that's nothing. And she ended up getting sepsis and, and she sadly died from septicemia. And I just sort of sat back and I thought, oh my God, what she was telling me was the menopause when I went and researched it a bit more. And you feel awful as a medic because you think, I miss this. Not only did I miss this, I'm missing this in other women in my community because they're telling me stuff in Punjabi and Urdu, which they can't communicate effectively to their GP. We have a 10 minute consultation and they're actually trying to tell me in the basic rawest form what their symptoms are. And I am not interpreting that with my Western mind thinking, oh, it must be something else. So that's where it came for me to think, oh, my God, I need to support my community. And I'm not the only doctor. There's lots of other doctors who are looking into their own communities. I mean, 13.8% of the population are from Black, Asian, ethnic minorities. Yet there is not a single piece of research that's done within those communities looking at how menopause affects women. Sorry, I was going to just say something that I think is really interesting that I'd love you to explain is there isn't a word for menopause within some of the communities that you work. Is that right? The word in is banji. Banji is in Urdu and banji means barren. It just means that you can't have any children anymore because a woman's value is based on how many children she can have. Isn't that awful? Yeah. In Punjabi, it's seen as kapde khatamoge. So it's a woman's, it's in a sentence, you know, this woman's kapde, which is kapde means rags, is that she's not using rags anymore. So a bit to the old, you know, East End term, being on the rag. But as the millennials are sort of becoming more educated in South Asian countries, the word menopause is really well understood and it's really well well accepted as part of the language now. What advice do you have for women who think they're perimenopausal or about contraception? So the first thing is, is menopausal symptoms, so that list of 42 symptoms, I've got nothing to do with your periods apart from if you've had one year without periods because then you're in the menopause, that's it, that's done. But if you're still having periods, you can still have menopausal symptoms. And HRT is not a contraceptive. All those menopausal symptoms mean is that your body is fluctuating and the level of estrogen that's reacting on the receptors around your body isn't isn't working so well. So you will get those hot flushes and night sweats. And it's to the degree of those symptoms that are impacting on your life where the HRT is an option. So that's why women always have to think about contraception the books say up until 55 actually up until the age of 55 because some women will continue to bleed up until the age of 55 so this is the other thing that women need to uh, remember because they think oh i'm having hot flushes and night sweats i'm perimenopausal i can't get pregnant that is not the case the um those blighters will get anywhere so. (laughs) so on the topic of hrt can you give us kind of a brief overview of who is it suitable for and when can you start taking it if you think you're perimenopausal but you're still having periods when can you actually go on HRT if you do choose to do that? 
There are different ways to tackle menopausal symptoms. One is always going to be lifestyle and diet. And I always encourage women to look at that first. But if your symptoms are overriding and actually that you're having difficulty just coping with your symptoms, then HRT is a great option. HRT stands for hormone replacement therapy. It's made out of two hormones, which is estrogen and progesterone. And all those hormones do is we try and replace what your body is lacking in order to relieve your symptoms or your menopausal symptoms. I personally don't put an age limit on it. The reason being, because to me, it's more for the comfortability of the woman. So she is my priority. If she's telling me and she's 42 or 43 or, you know, 55 or 58 or 60, and she's telling me I'm getting these horrible symptoms and they're impacting my life. Well, let's talk about HRT. So even with standard HRT, though, some women have concerns about cancer risk and things like that. Is that something that women need to be aware of or worried about? Definitely be aware of it. In regards to worry, it depends on what type of HRT you're on and which way that you're taking it. So we've now got body identical HRT, which means that it's made from plants and yams and root vegetables like that. And it's some the estrogen in that is, is really safe. In fact, on the 28th of August this year, the American Journal of Medicine, they published a really good, robust study which showed that women who've had a hysterectomy, so they've had their womb removed through whatever reason, and if they're given estrogen-only HRT, there is no risk of breast cancer. Isn't that amazing? So be aware, but actually always dig into the research and look at it. For me, it's always about do the benefits outweigh the risks, and it's always trying to marry that sort of partnership up. I know so many women who suffer horrendously with their symptoms, but deny themselves HRT. And actually, it's not the dangerous drug that we think it is. So we're starting to see a bit of recognition about how the perimenopause really affects women and also impacts their lives. You mentioned there's a study that's shown one in 10 women are leaving their careers due to perimenopause. Can you talk us through why some women end up leaving their careers some women we spoke to for example say they feel quite anxious and that might impact their job what do you think about those things is that something that you hear a lot from women that you work with here's my take on it is that women never put themselves first I mean if you if you think back to just how we are in our day-to-day women always sort of put everybody else first their children their friends their family and it's always I'm the last person on the list to have a selfish self-love day (laughs) and When it comes to work, we're very driven. We are incredibly passionate about our work, especially when we love it so much. So we work up the ladder and then this thing called the perimenopause happens and we can't understand it because no one talks about it. No one tells you. And the word that I hear a lot is isolation. They feel absolutely isolated. Something that's come up in our research about perimenopause is vaginal dryness or vaginal atrophy. Can you tell us what that is and why it happens? I'm so pleased you touched upon this because so many women don't know about this. Atrophy is just a fancy medical word just to say, you know, something shrinking. What happens is the vulval flora, so in and around our vulva, the flora around there changes. And so actually it becomes really discomforting. So women end up getting soreness around their urethra. So doctors and women need to be educated about this. And that can start quite young can't it? I've seen women around the age of sort of 40 to 42 to 43. And actually they come because I I do smears. So when I'm doing their smear, they'll say, oh, I don't want to have a smear because they've tried to have sex at home. And again, there's been issues there. And and it surprises me how many women can just put off sex. Not that I'm saying that everybody needs to have sex all the time. (laughs) But if it's painful, you don't talk about it and you just move on. 
or you grin and bear it, which I think is even worse. And the treatment, honestly, is so simple. So there's things called vaginal moisturizers, and these are gels, um, just like you would moisturize your face. We should be moisturizing down below as well. And then estrogen, localized estrogen. So people always go, oh my God, estrogen. Actually, the British Menopause Society have done a, a good paper on this to show that taking estrogen as a cream just to re replenish those receptors around the vulva does not give you breast cancer. You can have it for as long as you like, and it prevents and treats vaginal atrophy in the best way possible. And you don't need to have progesterone with it because it's so local. It only goes to those bits of the tissue, which is the vulva. It doesn't get systemically absorbed. So you don't need to have progesterone. Again, doctors don't know about that. We've just got one final question, uh, which we put to all of our podcast guests. And that is, what makes you uncomfortable? Uh, do you know, I'm old. Nothing makes me uncomfortable anymore. But the one thing that <laughs> always makes me really... No, it's true. Look, mate, I'm a mum to three kids. Okay. My eldest is nine, who gives me a lot of jip. Then I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And so uh, I've seen everything. I do everything as a GP. I put my fingers in every orifice you can imagine. <laughs> so <laughs> nothing makes me uncomfortable. There must be the something that makes But the thing that always makes the thing that always makes me uncomfortable actually is um rudeness. I cannot abide mm. rudeness and just being nasty. I mean how how much effort does it take just to give somebody a smile? So um just being kinder to other people is the, the bit that I think that we should always be thriving for, regardless of how shitty your day is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm a smiley person, so I try and <laughs> smile because I cannot abide rudeness. You definitely made me and Rachel smiling at you now. Just grinning. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank um, you so really much. Fun and informative. Oh, right. Well, I, I do talk a lot, so you'll have to probably edit out a lot of my crap that I talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I don't no take myself too seriously either because life's too short. I wish I knew how much weight I was going to gain around my middle and my, my breasts. It came so fast and I had no idea. It started at the middle of the pandemic, so I assumed it was that, but nothing else seems to be working and it's really making me very sluggish and extremely uncomfortable and clothes definitely do not fit. So that's the one thing. I don't think I realized how much weight was going to come on. I'm up 25 pounds. I really wish that I would have known about the anxiety in menopause because it's like being on a crazy roller coaster ride. The moments that you don't feel like yourself, the anguish, the sadness, it's um it's a lot to take in i just wish that there would have been like a warning because nobody ever really acknowledges the symptoms of menopause and anxiety is probably the worst the thing that surprised me most about the perimenopause it's not just um night sweats and hot flushes it's all the other symptoms that go with it for me, it's the anxiety. Um, I thought I was going insane. I keep forgetting things. Um, my mood is so low. I felt exhausted. My skin was dry. My hair was dry. Everything, everything is dry. And that's the thing that really did surprise me the most. You just heard from Dr. Nigat Arif. And now we're joined by Tilly Harris, who is a writer and psychosocial researcher. 
She interviews women to investigate their choices and desires. Tilly has collected extraordinary turnaround stories from women all over the world for her forthcoming book, Women, Midlife and the Courage to Change. It was inspired by a huge period of loss and change in her own life, which included early menopause. Tilly was around 39 and married with two babies when she learned about her own early menopause. So Tilly, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, it's good to be here. So can you talk a little bit about when you first started experiencing symptoms and what initially triggered your concerns? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, it's strange because I was experiencing some pretty brutal symptoms, but I didn't necessarily detect them as perimenopausal. Like, okay, so I had like really heavy erratic periods, but then I just had two babies, right, in two years, and you put it down to that. And also, I was really short of patience. Like, I remember really struggling to stay being a lovely mummy at bedtime and all of that kind of stuff. And I had so much going on in my life. I think what happens to women in that particular period where something like perimenopause kicks in is that you're already pretty oversubscribed. So you have a tendency to put it down to the other things going on around you. You don't see it coming. And I know you were going through a a tough personal time during that period when it first started. Did that all play a part? Yeah, so that's the thing. You know, when I say I was short of patience or maybe a bit anxious or whatever, like my best friend was dying, my my mum was super ill. Like, I think like a lot of women, it goes undetected because you're already pretty overwhelmed, you know. So your diagnosis was far from straightforward as well. Could you talk us through the kind of steps that you took to eventually get diagnosed as as going through the perimenopause? Yeah, so again, like a lot of women at that stage of your life, you know, self-care is at the bottom of quite a long list. And so even just getting to the doctors can feel like quite a big deal because you're running a company, you're running a house, you've got children, you know, you're doing whatever you're doing. And certainly for me, I felt self-indulgent and like I was making a fuss to keep showing up at the doctors going, this can't be normal. I just, I don't feel good, you know. And doctors, I think, can be super black and white about the perimenopause or the menopause, you know. There's this sort of very old-fashioned idea that you're either before the menopause or you're after the menopause, as though some kind of switch is going to flick. And actually, the reality of it is that you're... anything between months or I think years you've got this long period where your hormones are spiking up and down and the best you're going to get from your average doctor I think is like well maybe try Prozac or you know you're going to have to use super plus tampons and the whole time you're thinking that you don't have space for this in your life so you're just going to keep going in the end I started to feel like oh god something maybe there's something super wrong with me you know maybe maybe I'm really not okay like maybe I've got cancer or maybe because I was really not well like my hair was falling out I would wake up in the night having these like hot sweats and then I'd think, oh, there's that fever again that's always gone by the morning. It just didn't occur to me that I was menopausal, right? Um, Because I wasn't even 40. So I ended up going to Harley Street. So for your international listeners, that's the very posh end of private health in London. So, and that was deeply uncomfortable for me. You know, I'm, I'm not really that sort of girl. And so scratching around to find 350 quid to go and see yet another person that was probably going to turn me away and tell me to stop being silly. Felt very uncomfortable, but I sort of advocated for myself and I did that. And they had my blood test before they saw me. So by the time I walked into the consulting room, they knew what was wrong with me before I did. And the consultant looked really shocked to see me. And she was like, oh, you're so young. And, and I was like, um, how do you mean? You know, so we had this conversation and I remember it sort of dawning on me and I was like, are you saying I'm going into the menopause? 
And she was like, no, no, that ship sailed. You've been through the menopause, you're done. Yeah, it was really shocking, really shocking. Yeah, it must have been such a surprise hearing that. Can you walk us through how you were feeling when you got that news and how you reacted on the day? So, yeah, so I came out of that appointment. I remember rattling around Harley Street just thinking, what on earth? And part of me, I think, felt like, oh, God, no wonder I felt so ill. And part of me was really mortified because actually there's, there's a certain level of shame, I think, around the menopause. And I think if I'm really honest, you know, people want to identify as young and sexy and cool, not plain and dull and menopausal, right? And there is definitely a cultural idea that women have value until a certain point and then suddenly they're boring and they wear cardigans. And I didn't want to be that person. That's not where I wanted to situate myself at all. To the extent, actually, that to start off with, I told my girlfriends, but I told them like it was some kind of shaming secret. And I used the phrase ovarian failure because I didn't want to identify as menopausal. What was their reaction like when you told them? Oh, they were amazing because the women in my life are amazing. I don't think I'd be here without the women in my life. But I mean, again, they were just, everybody was a bit like, what the fuck? You know, it was like really full on news. And I think now it doesn't feel like that, but that's because I've had time to circle it and take it on board. But it was really shocking at the time. So shocking that that actually affects how you respond to medication. Because when you have a diagnosis that you don't want, you also don't want the medication that goes with it because you just don't want to identify with it at all. So she, the consultant, wanted me on HRT, hormone replacement treatment, straight away. And I was like, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. And I remember when I eventually did go on it, going to the doctors, and they gave me the medication in a carrier bag. There was so much of it, and I was just like, oh my god, it's like, like I'm a really sick person. Like I was appalled, really appalled. You say that you had HRT. Can you tell us a bit about that treatment journey and what that was like for you? Yeah, I did do quite a lot of research because I think a lot of the advice out there is quite out of date. So there's a whole bunch of stuff around what's safe and what's not safe and what's a risk and what's not a risk. But it's really worth diving into because in reality, especially for women that are quite young, it's generally more risky not to be on it than to be on it. So definitely worth pursuing. And then there's the issue with dosage, right? You know, I had a little bit too much progesterone for a while, so that made me put the oestrogen, so that's the one that makes your skin and your nails great and you sleep well suddenly again and all that, trying to get the dosage right. And that was certainly something that I had to pay attention to and work out how much was too much and how much was enough. But when it works, once you've got it right, it's like night and day. You're like, God, I, kn- I knew I knew I was great. I knew that I liked being <laughs> Because suddenly you're you're yourself again, and you're not you're, you're not spending your life feeling like you've got some cross between like hangover and a depression every day, you know. And it really signalled a massive change in my life in quite a few ways, actually. How long did you kind of play around with the treatment to make it work for you? So I want to tell you it was shorter than it was because if I knew then what I know now, I probably could have got things things straight in about six months. But I was so busy being resistant to wanting to do it at all and putting off appointments and not keeping a symptoms diary and just not quite engaging with it. I think it probably took me over a year to get where I needed to be with it. It's so amazing to hear that it had such a positive, life-changing impact on you once you did find the correct cocktail. Can you tell us a bit about how it changed your perception of yourself and also how you related to other people? We have a big thing about valuing women for being young and sexy. So no wonder nobody's particularly excited about going into menopause, right? Because 
it's got a branding problem. The whole of midnight's got a branding problem. It's not something anybody wants to identify as. But the truth is, you're never, you know, once you're in your 40s and 50s, you're not going to be as young and beautiful as your 20s and 30s. That's a fact, right? But, but there are other facts, like you will get a growing sense of your own value and worth. You will start to have more of an experience of yourself from the inside out instead of the outside in. You know, you're not, you don't care what people think about you as much. You trust your own judgment more. You lean into your intuition more, you know. And so actually midlife is a period of being smarter and braver and stronger and, and not being available to other people's judgment in a way that's really worth looking forward to. Mm, that um, sounds really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is really nice. <laughs> I think that leads us really nicely on to the book that you're writing, which is called Women, Midlife and the Courage to Change, about women who have changed their lives completely, particularly after a significant moment in their life. Can you tell us a bit about why it was important for you to write this book and what you want women to take away from it? Yeah, so so my work has always been around interviewing people around who they are and what they want and what are those drivers underneath that, like what are the sort of psychodynamic patterns and, and beliefs that, that determine our choices and our desires. And so it felt quite natural to me that when the bottom fell out of my life, really, I would turn to other women to see how they had charted this journey before me. And their stories are just too good not to share, right? So I'm writing this book that's just packed full of the most extraordinary stories. Women in Kenya I was talking to just a couple of weeks ago who was in a really, really awful domestic violence situation and was really held back by the, the, the dynamics that she had with men and she worked through that to the extent that now she has like a really senior position in a, in a, in a global organization and is absolutely smashing it and just these incredible turnaround stories from women who used to live one way and now live another that book sounds incredible and i can't wait to read it what is it that you want women and readers to kind of take away from that book is it to kind of harness the kind of stories of others and like lead them to make change in their own lives or to not fear change when it kind of happens to you what what is it that you're looking for i think what it is really is that women's stories are so powerful and and this generation of women you know that will be listening to the podcast now so people that may be a bit younger than me but also a little bit older the thing that we have in common right is that we have a ubiquity of information and a way of connecting with each other through the internet that we never had as women so for the first time ever, we get our information not filtered through old white men, right? And because of that, your listeners won't have the same perimenopause as mine, because this is what your show is. This is what Me Too is. This is what, you know, calling the diet industry out for making people feel fat is. Because we all have these channels now where we can share information and raise a collective eyebrow and go, that's not how it was meant to be. It's not just me. It's all of us, right? And I think that is why I wanted to talk about this in your show. I think it's why I want those women's stories in that book because there's something fantastically freeing about seeing somebody else step into their own power and decide to take the main role in their own lives because it be because it's contagious. Tilly, that has been so great and everything you have said just feels so empowering. Before we let you go, though, we have one final question that we put to all of our interviewees, and that is, what makes you feel uncomfortable? So what makes me uncomfortable at the moment is something I was thinking about last week. So many of the women I interview give me this line, which is, you know, and then I realised I needed to start looking after myself, because if I didn't, I would be no good to anyone else. 
And it enrages me because it's this idea that as women, self-care is only relevant once you're a depleted resource for someone else, as though your own value is not worth enough. Like all the nice things have to be earned by discomfort first. You have to offset it somehow. But I feel that as women, we really need to own this sort of unapologetic pursuit of joy. I feel like we need to say, I'm doing nice things because they're nice. I don't have to earn them or apologize for them. God, yeah. what a great answer. <laughs> I absolutely love that. <laughs> it's just, you know, rebranding self-care as just having a good time because I'm great and I deserve it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be offset with misery first, right? That's absolutely brilliant. I I love that. I'm going to carry that mantra with me from now on. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been an absolute pleasure and really honest about your own experience. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, not at all. I love what you guys are doing. I think it's really great. Keep going. Many women don't even know of the existence of perimenopause and certainly not when it can start, often early 40s or even younger, and how long it can last, probably several years. I wish I'd known it wasn't a time of loss, as we are taught to believe. Rather, it's an opportunity for us to take stock and work out what's next. If we experience bad symptoms, that's a warning, like the canary in the coal mine, that all may not be right with how we're living our lives, and we may want to make changes for long-term health. It's not the time to start fighting our wombs, but rather to go with the flow, or lack of it. There is so much we can do to increase our chances of an easier transition. For me, perimenopause was a gift, even though it meant my period stopped 10 years earlier than normal. The end of my fertility has become the most fertile time of my life. Being off the estrogen roller coaster is brilliant. You just heard from Tilly Harris and you can follow her at tillyharris.official on Instagram and that is Tilly spelt with an I-E. Do look out for her new book, Women, Midlife and the Courage to Change when it comes out soon. I know I will. It sounded amazing. Um, it really Rachel, did, didn't it? <laughs> I felt so inspired. I was like, yeah. Um, but that was really great. But why? What I really enjoyed um, speaking to Tilly, apart from like all of her great insight and her sharing her personal story and looking forward to that book, is that she was sat on the floor in her next door neighbor's living room because her children were being too loud for her to record the podcast, which I just thought was brilliant. And then we also had Dr. Nigga Arif earlier on the podcast who was coming live from her uh, surgery. So I know it was great. I loved it how they were so contrasting, but so professional women mm. adapting to challenging circumstances, which is basically what this whole episode is about. Oh, I like the way that you did that there, Rachel. <laughs> like a one show presenter, <laughs> <laughs> which is also her aspiration. If anyone is listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Matt Baker's gone now. God, this is such a weird sidetrack. Anyway, I learned loads about the perimenopause today. I loved both of our guests. I also thought, both of them had a lot to say about the challenges, which is really important for us to hear, but also about life the other side, which mm. is really empowering. And I think also equally important to shout about. Mm. It sounds that there are ways, as long as people are able to kind of identify their symptoms and get the treatment that they need, that there is kind of 
a way through it and loads of positive things to take out of it as well so it's not necessarily something that we should fear and therefore like not talk about because we're kind of so scared of of what's coming um it's just as Tilly said actually it's really important to lean into things that are difficult and that's often the only way to kind of get the most out of the situation that's it this week from am I making you uncomfortable please subscribe to our podcast and give us a lovely review I'm Rachel Moss and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore And I'm Brogan Driscoll and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. This podcast is produced by Crystal Genesis. Our assistant producer is Rachel Porter and our sound engineer is John Johnson. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Hashtag A-I-M-Y-U. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.